Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Welcome, 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 Vertical Life Church. How are you doing today? Are you warm? Oh my goodness. If fasting and prayer was for anything good, it was for bringing heat into the auditorium. Amen? So awesome. I'm so happy to see each and every one of you. Some new faces today. We believe everyone matters to God. And so we're so thankful that you're here. And I hope that your time with us, uh, if, you're, if you're new today, you'd feel that encouragement. You'd feel that, that love of God uh, just directed toward you. We want to be a church driven by love. So everything we do uh, is to encounter the love of God, both personally and with all those that uh, we share this time with. And so we're so thankful that you're here with us today. Um, just want to um, just plug the Man Up Conference again. Uh, t- thank you, Scott, for that announcement. But it is this weekend, Friday night and Saturday. Uh, if all you guys are in here, if you're available, I encourage you to come. It's just $20. You get a dinner uh, on Friday night. They have root beer on tap, so that's really fun. They have axe throwing and a few other things that you can do while we're there. Uh, usually some competitions. The speakers are always phenomenal and just a, just a jump start to your spiritual life. So that's dinner Friday night and then uh, Saturday morning we'll meet again. Uh, they asked me to uh, sing on the worship team on Saturday. So I'll be up there uh, helping out with the event. And um, uh, we'll be there till about noon on Saturday morning. Get a great breakfast. It's going to be an incredible time. So if you're available or can make it, I encourage you to stop by the Connection Center register so we can send the count of how many we're bringing. And if you're able to pay that $20 today, that's awesome. If not, um, you can connect with us midweek and we'll, we'll get that taken care of so we can get everybody registered today. As well as if you are a parent of one of our youth going on the youth trip to One Heart, there are, there's a sheet of paper at the Connection Center for you. It's an information sheet letting you know about the conference, some must-needed information, where, where to drop the kids off, where to pick them up. Uh, who to contact in an emergency situation, who might be contacting you in an emergency situation. And remember, we do have insurance, but you signed a waiver. So, woohoo. Um, but uh, uh, that's going to be so much fun. But that's information you de- definitely need to take with you today. And uh, I know the kids are going to have an awesome time. We've been praying for our kids to have an encounter with God. And so you can partner with us in that. Nothing greater than to see young people on fire for Jesus. And there's so much stuff coming against our youth. You think it's coming against us as adults. There is so much coming against our youth. And so we're praying that all the walls and barriers are knocked down, that their hearts are open, and that God can do miraculous things in them. And, uh, and I know it's going to be a huge blessing to our church. So now we are in the last week, as Scott said, in our uh, 22 days of prayer. We completed the devotional journey this week. And so this is going to kind of wrap up everything as we were looking back on what God has done to encourage our faith, began to look forward to what God is doing to give us some direction. And today, we're going to kind of bring it together and say, where do we go from here? What, what do I do personally now as I'm kind of seeking God's will for my life, trying to see what he wants for me? What is it that I need to be focused on, both personally and then together as a church corporately? And so we're going we're gonna to land there today. Um, I want to set up the discussion day with a couple of illustrations. First, let's pray, and we'll get into this. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy and grace.
God, I thank you for your spirit, your presence that's already been here. I thank you for everyone that, that is here today, those that are serving and sacrificing their time and, and giving up their talent and ability to, to minister to the, the church. But I pray for everyone just in attendance today. God, I pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that's open and ready to believe what you have for us, God, that you would fall on this place. Lord, we know as children of God, you go with us wherever we go. The Spirit of God is in us. So God, make us aware of your presence today. Remove all distraction. That there would be no interference between your voice and our hearts. We just thank you, God, for your love and grace. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for the blood that you shed, the body that was broken. And we praise you for the glorious resurrection that gives us new life. And we just speak that life over us today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. All right, let's get into this. So the first thing I want to just highlight is we live in car country. Wouldn't you agree? Michigan is like known for cars. It's pretty sad. I, I didn't grow up in Michigan. I grew up in Missouri. And so I wasn't really a car aficionado, but I learned a couple of things when I moved to Michigan. The first thing is you need to drive American, mostly. You know, we, we don't have, uh, we have one American car. We have one foreign car. But uh, I found if you don't drive an American car, people look at you funny, and they tend not to like you very much. So you got to drive American. But two, you have to know something about cars. It's not enough to know where the gas goes. You have to, like, know what's under the hood and be able to point things out. And like, that's the alternator, you know, that's the battery, that's this and the other. If not, especially in, in the realm of dudes, they're like, hmm, what's wrong with this guy? You know, he's, he's not from around here, you know. He's not from these parts. So... I've tried to brush up on my knowledge of vehicles. But being this is car country and our state is famous for automobile manufacturing, isn't it amazing to see how many cars are produced every month? Like even just in our state, not just in our nation, but in our state. And, and it's not just how they're produced or that they're produced, it's the way they're produced. Right? Automation, robotics, and all these things that we've invented to increase the capacity of production, it's just astounding and lightning speed to be able to produce a vehicle that you have some metal land on a conveyor belt, and by the time it gets to the end, it's a fully functioning uh, automobile. It's pretty fascinating. But life in, in production wasn't always as it is today. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, manufactured goods were usually made by hand, where specialists would handcraft the parts by themselves, then they would come together with all the other specialists and they would put the parts together and then you would end up with whatever it was you were manufacturing. It was a long, arduous process that took time and, and, uh, and a lot of uh, just ingenuity to take place. Uh, Ransom Olds created the patent, the assembly line in 1901. So it's just been since 1901 that the assembly line became a way to produce vehicles in our, in our nation. And when they were producing these vehicles, they would, they would have each specialized person with their own specialized parts in a certain place with a specific part. And then as the vehicle uh, was being produced, each person would come and put their part on the vehicle. And roughly, I, I believe, they were able to create around 20 units or 20 vehicles per day using the assembly line. Now, think about that. 20 cars a day. It's not very many. It's not very many at all. But it was an increase 
It was about a 500% increase from what they were able to do the year before the assembly line was created. So if you think 20 is not very much, imagine how long it took to create a single car prior to the invention of the assembly line. So it was a big deal. Now Henry Ford, we know Henry Ford, right? Right, Henry Ford's pretty popular around here. He came along and he improved the assembly line with a conveyor belt system. So it was an automatic system that moved the vehicle down the line. And using this method, he could produce Model T cars every 90 minutes. So it increased even more dramatically the way that cars were created. Nearly 2 million units were created in one of their best years in the Ford Motor Company. 2 million units. So we go from 20 a day to 2 million in a year. That's 5,479 cars in a single day with the invention of the assembly line and the conveyor belt system. On average, um, his innovation reduced the time it took to build a car from more than 12 hours for a single car to one hour and 33 minutes. It's pretty awesome. Now, the reason why this is important is because in order to go from what it was to high efficiency production, you had to have every person in the right place and every part at the right position at the right time. Another thing that's pretty popular in our state is farming. There's a lot of farmland around here. Have you ever just stopped and thought of the miracle of like seeds turning into plants? I'm not known for my green thumb. I always keep saying we need to do a garden and it never happens because I'm afraid that we'll kill everything instead of, you know, I have a hard time growing grass in my front yard, if that tells you anything. But I just stop and think, like, does it make any sense to you that you take a seed, put it in dirt, pour some water on it, and it turns into a plant? That, like, blows my mind that that's even possible. But if you think about the germination process, it's incredibly simple, but yet it's very specific and necessary for the plant itself. There are really five stages in the germination process. The first is the imbibition stage. It's where water fills the seed. So you put water in the dirt and you water, or you put the seed in the dirt and you water it, and then water begins to be absorbed by the seed. That's the first stage. The second stage is that the water activates enzymes in the seed that begin the plant's growth. So it's like the jump-starting engine to this whole germination process. In the third step of germination, the seed grows a root to access water underground. So it's not enough just to absorb the water in the skin. It's got to create a root that begins to penetrate deeper into the dirt so that it can draw even more water in this process of germination. Step four, the seed grows a shoot out the top that grows towards the sun, begins to grow both directions, both deep and high. And then step five, the shoot grows leaves and begins photomorphogenesis. Say that ten times fast. So in order for a plant to go from a seed to a mature plant that can bear fruit, it must go through this germination process. Even if the seed gets enough water though, sometimes seeds don't grow. I found that out many times. You, you get like this giant bag of grass seed because you have this big plot of dirt, this mud hole in your front yard, and you just throw seed all over it and you water it and you only have like 
a little patch over here that grows. I was like, what the heck? You know, what, what's the deal? So you have to mess with that. You can throw seed down in the dirt. You can even give it water, but sometimes the seeds don't grow. So if it doesn't grow, then it can't begin the process of photosynthesis, which is what allows it to absorb energy from the sun to fuel even greater growth in order for it to become fruitful and reproduce. It's usually, when seeds don't grow, it's usually issues underneath the surface that are causing it not to grow or not to complete the germination process or to morph into a fully mature plant. If any of the steps are missed in the germination process, just like if any of the parts are not put in the automobile or any of the steps are missed in the assembly line position, you can't have a fully functioning vehicle or even a vehicle at all, and you can't have a healthy, fruitful plant. And it's important to grasp these concepts and think about this because Jesus in the New Testament, he likens every believer to seed. Paul in the New Testament likens every believer to a body that's being built by the Holy Spirit, like a vehicle on an assembly line. In every church, like a vehicle on the assembly line. So if you think about the symbology we, in order to, for every person to fulfill a specific function and part of the body so that the body of Jesus Christ, the church as a whole, can be fully functioning, strengthened, and built up, it takes every part to be in its place at the right time and in the right place. It takes every seed to grow through the germination process to go from a sapling to a fully functioning and a fully mature plant. And the Bible describes this process that every one of us have to go through. It's a big word theologians use. It's called sanctification. The process of going from what you were before Christ to being just holy as he is holy. Sanctification. So it's this process that we, we go through. And we go through this process so we can germinate, so we can be built up and strengthened personally. And in the process, as God is leading the charge in us growing, he's also growing something with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, Paul writes to the church, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built. Somebody say built. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined, somebody say being joined. So you are built, but you're also being joined together in what? It grows. Somebody say grows. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built. Somebody say being built. You're being built alone. You're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So you notice how he's using the languages of being built like an assembly line and growing like seed. So God is working in your life individually to grow you into something that can be built into something corporately. It works together. And it's not just you alone. It's all of us together. And so the thing we're being built into is a temple of the Lord. The temple of the Holy Spirit. 
If you're a believer, you're a child of God, you have the spirit living in you, you individually are a temple. But God's vision is far greater than you personally. It covers the globe. Right? The psalmist writes, may the earth be filled with your glory, the glory of the Lord. So there is a greater vision that God has in mind. We are being built into not just individual temples of the Lord, but we are being built as the church of Jesus Christ everywhere. And we are being built up, which means he intends the church to expand, the temple to grow across the globe, expanding to everyone, those who have already believed and to those who haven't believed yet. He has a vision. He has a plan. He has a process. He has a purpose. And those that haven't believed yet, when they do believe, they're going to get plugged into that sanctification process, that, that growth process, because they're going to get plugged into the frame of God's design for the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple is growing. It's a growing entity, which means it has life. It's germinating from what it is now into the final product, a fully mature and fruitful temple of the Lord. And beloved, each and every one of us are a necessary and integral part of that design. We occupy an important function of that temple of God. In order for the temple of God to grow, the church must not simply grow in numbers, which we want. We want to see this church grow in numbers. But in order for the temple of God to grow, the church doesn't just need to grow in numbers because you can draw a crowd. If I were to hire an entertainer to come here on a Sunday morning, you better believe we could have a full auditorium. Did you know Jesus had large crowds? They were called multitudes. But when it counted, he barely had five. You can draw a crowd, even around religious activity. But God's not just interested in a crowd. He's interested in believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, to grow in their personal relationship with him. That's what he's interested in. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.18 he says, but grow. Somebody say, but grow. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Paul, in Ephesians 3, 17 and 19, along this theme of growing, he says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and then your roots will grow down deep into God's love. Notice, as the germination process takes place, you need more water, so you grow a root to go down to where the nourishment is. So as you are going along this process, as you are allowing Christ to make his home in your hearts, you're trusting more and more in him, your roots are going to grow down into his love, and it's going to keep you strong so you can keep going through the process that God has been leading you on since you trusted in him. Verse 18, he says, and may you have the power to understand. Where does the power come for the plant? The shoot that grows up that is able to absorb the sun. So it's an understanding that as the roots are growing down, you're growing deep. You're also growing vertically to be filled with God's power. So you're going to have God's power to understand as all God's people should. Pause there. May you have the power to understand what? The grace and knowledge of God. 
to understand the depth of his love. But he says, as all God's people should. What does that tell you? Not all God's people do. We, this is an ought situation. The difference between ought and of opinion is an ought is an imperative. You ought to tell the truth. You ought to go the speed limit. I'm preaching to the choir here because I don't do that. But I ought to go to the speed limit, right? There are things that you ought to do. You ought, as a child of God, you ought to know the depth of the love of God. The grace and knowledge of God. But not all Christians do what they ought to do. As all God's people should know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Do you realize what he's saying you ought to know? The privilege it is to know the unfailing love of God in all of its aspects. You ought to know this. God's plan is for you to grow into this knowledge, into this grace, to not only let your roots grow down deep, but also stretch out wide. This is, a, this is to be fruitful. This is to expand your experience with the Lord. And he even says, verse 19, may you experience. Right? Think of what he's saying. He's like, God has something for you that you ought to already know. You ought to already be experiencing. He has something for you that you'd experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. There's never going to be a moment on this planet you know it all. It's too great. I think the reason why God wouldn't show his face to people is because if they experienced the fullness of God, it'd vaporize them because of his glory. And so we're only given glimpses of his glory because that's all we can handle. When we see him in glory in heaven, we'll be able to handle it. And it's the fullness for all time. Does that not make your heart skip a beat? But right now, in the here and now, he wants us to grow into that knowledge. And as we're growing into the knowledge of how high, how wide, how deep his love is, he says, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. When the automobile has every part and piece in place, they hook up the battery. Guess what? It can go with a full tank of gas. So here comes the Holy Spirit. We're going to put some gas in this thing. And now it can go. When a plant has deep roots and it has shoots growing up and it's absorbing moisture from the depth of the soil and sun from the sky, no matter what blows through town, I'm going to stay rooted because I got deep roots and I got power flowing from on high. God has this for you. Again, Paul to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God's prayer for everybody he ministered to was, could you, God, could you just give them your knowledge? Could you help them see? Help them encounter? Help them experience? Because the more they know, the more they understand, the more revelation they have, the greater glory you're going to get. And the better it is for them. It's not going to be this battle in their heart anymore. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe according to the working of his great might. This was what Paul's praying every day for, every believer he's ministered to. God, help them see. Help them know. Help them grow. Help them gain greater perspective. God, give them visions and dreams and encounters with your spirit. Because the more they know, the more perspective they have, the greater hope they're going to hold into. The greater understanding they're going to have. And it's not just a suggestion, beloved. It's a command to grow. It's a command. But it's also the goal. It's a goal to grow that we might receive greater revelation and grow in greater understanding in the supernatural love. This is a call to believers. God is calling you to grow in your personal relationship with Christ. Grow in his grace. Grow in his favor. Grow in his knowledge. Grow in the understanding of his heart. Grow in hearing his voice. Growing in knowing his ways. Growing in discerning his presence. We're to continue to grow. Why? Because that's how we're ultimately fulfilled and satisfied. If you're unsatisfied in your relationship with God and in your Christian life, it's because you're not growing. You're not digging deep into the wealth of his love. And you're not receiving the power that comes from the glory of God in your life. And I've been there so many times like a withering plant in desert soil. Because I wasn't growing. And many of us, we get stuck in that place. But as a body, it's important that we grow. It's important that each of us grow. That we don't just leave the growth up to the people in the front row. It's important that we all grow. Why? Because we're not just doing this thing alone. We are interconnected as a body. We are interdependent as a body. 1 Corinthians 12 Paul says this to the church. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. You're the body of Christ, and you're the individual members of it. So we're not just doing this Christian life alone. You can't do this Christian life alone. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't be a part of the body and exist outside the body. You've got to be connected into the heart, to the bloodstream. You have to have the nourishment from the body. You can't do it. Does, doesn't it really stink when you get an injury? When, when you're hurt? Man, this, this last couple weeks, I don't know what I did. I hurt something in my neck, and I don't even know how I did it. Now, I, I hear they say when you get, as you get older, as you age, you wake up with new pains, and you don't even know where they come from. I just, so I guess it's coming for me, y'all. It's coming. But I had this issue in my neck, and it was right about the place where, like, a lymph node would be, something. Well, maybe it's just an infection or, or, or something. But it, it was, like, annoying, and it was throbbing, and it was gnawing at me. And I would touch, and it was really sensitive and sore. And, and, and so I'm like, oh, I'll just give it a few days. And a few days went by, and it didn't get better. And it hurt, so I started whining to my wife about it because, you know, she's, she's my pastor. She helps keep me, me in line. So I'm whining to her about it, and she's like, oh, it's no big deal. You probably did this. And, of course, I'm thinking, yeah, but in deep down, I'm like, no, it's cancer. I know it's cancer. I know it's something. So I did what anybody would do. I went online to WebMD to find out what my malady was, and sure enough, it was cancer. Sure enough. Never do that, y'all. Don't ever type in pain here because you're going to get the worst possible scenario. 
So I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I think it was like last Friday night or Saturday night, we were rehearsing for, for worship uh, on Sunday. And we just had this moment with the Lord. God just showed up in the room. And I'm sitting here and I'm trying to connect my heart. But I've got this annoying pain in my neck. And so I'm like, Lord, you're the healer. God, would you just, would you just touch me and get rid of this thing? This is such a distraction. And I literally felt the side of my face begin to vibrate. And specifically this spot begin to like just tingle and like something released and the tension was gone, the throbbing pain was gone, but I still had this sensitive spot in my neck. And so I was like, okay, I just, I believe I'm going to be healed by morning. Well, morning came, it was Sunday morning and still, I still had the sensitivity, the pain. I'm like, okay, maybe I got a partial healing, I don't know. But I was like, well, God's the healer. He's going to, he's going to heal. And so Sunday night, um, I had the, the, our group at prayer night pray for me and it was awesome. It was sweet. And within the next couple of days, it was completely gone. It was just amazing. But while I was injured, that's all I could think about. My legs are strong. My arms are strong. Like my, my health in general was great. But when I had this one little thing wrong with me, it was stifling everything. It was stifling my happiness, my joy. It was preventing me from like really being able to, to like, like connect with people because all I could think about was this annoying pain. What happens in the body of Jesus Christ when we're all individually members of it and everyone else is trying to grow and you're not? When you're the dysfunctional part, what do you think that's doing to everyone else? This is not meant to be condemning. This is from the Father's heart. I want you to have perspective because God is going to do something supernatural in this church. I don't want to be the reason why he can't do it. So that means I have to repent when I have sin in my life. That means I have to check my heart when I have selfish attitudes. That means that I have to constantly be in check with my family and the Holy Spirit to make sure I'm in a place where God can move in my life. Because if I'm not growing, I'm dying. And if I'm dying spiritually, I become a cancer to the rest of the body. And you want to know why churches are in such turmoil and dysfunction and closing their door and fighting and worried about this, that, and the other? It's because they have a lot of cancer in their body they need to get rid of. Jesus, in John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, remain. It's a continual process. If you don't remain, you're not connected to the source. So remain in me, and I in them, and they will produce much fruit. There'll be life. It says, apart from me, you can't do anything. If you're not plugged into the root system, if you're not grafted into the, the vine as a branch, you're disconnected to all the nutrients you need for your spiritual life. 
And so he's saying anyone who doesn't remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Why? Because if the farmer or the, the pruner doesn't prune what's dying, it's going to affect the rest of the plant. So it has to be cut off so the plant, the plant can survive and thrive. Verse 7, he says, but if you remain in me and my words in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Woo! If I'm connected to the source and I'm remaining in him, then that means as God brings circumstances and situations in my life and I call on him, I'm going to have answered prayer. That seems pretty reason enough to grow. Pretty reason enough to stay connected. So he's, verse 8, he says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. When you produce. If you're not connected, you're not going to produce. If you're not producing, you're not a true disciple. You just fill a seat on a Sunday morning in a religious service. So the mark of a true disciple is a mark of one that's connected to the source and is producing fruit, which means they are growing. They are filled with life, and God is raising them up. So there is a process we take together, but also one we must take personally so that we can take it corporately. If you're not growing personally, we can't grow corporately. We can't. It's impossible. You can't build a church on one man. You can build it on Jesus, but not a man. Not a normal human being, because we're all imperfect. So he has rightly put us together in his body so that we would grow, and as we grow, we build up and strengthen one another. Your connection and your relationship to Christ, as it grows, fruit will naturally be produced in your life. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, tenderness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. There, there are things that the Spirit works in your life, but you will also have other things like works of righteousness and steps of faith and, and uh, acts of compassion and generosity. There's lots of things that are pr produced from a life that's connected to the source. The gifts of the Spirit are, so, are just some of those things. And the Lord wants us to be exceedingly fruitful. Why? Because he wants a life-giving church. I really think that God gets discouraged. I mean, you can see through Scripture how he has emotion, right? God gets discouraged when he sees something that could be filling the world with life and glory be sucking the life out of its community. And what does that? It's a church that's not growing. It's a church that's not thriving. It's a people who call on Jesus as their Lord and Savior, yet, but yet show no fruit in their life. So there's a process that we need to take together, but also a process we need to go through personally so we can accomplish his will in the earth, and it's to complete his mission of salvation. Like, think about it. This is more than just us. You accept Christ. You become saved. Okay, but he has a plan for your neighbor. He has a plan for people three houses down from you. He, he has a plan for the people that you rub shoulders with every day. So he wants you to grow so they can get connected. So it's a plan that's bigger than what we just think of in our own personal lives. So there is a responsibility on every believer to grow. We're commanded, and that's our goal, to grow in Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1, he says, Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. These are the works of the flesh. These are the part of that sinful nature that we had to be redeemed by Christ from, right? But he says, number two, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will what? You will 
grow, right? So put away the works of the flesh, the things of the nature that are sinful and un violate God's will and command for our lives, that violate his love. But like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. There's an experience of salvation you haven't received yet. You have a glimpse of glory. He moves us from glory to glory. So there is a realm of God's goodness, his love, that we have yet to experience. And how do we get it? We seek this spiritual milk, this, this, this nourishment from the Lord. He says, cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So you have accepted Christ. You had that moment in your life where you say, God, I'm tired of being the God of my own life. I'm not going to go the way of sin anymore. I recognize that I've sinned against you. I'm repentant of that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm taking Jesus as my Lord and Savior now and forever. I'm dedicating my life to him. I will serve him all my days. The Bible says in that moment, you become a new creation. You are born again. But from that moment, it's time to crave the things of the Lord. It's time to crave the spiritual milk, what's going to nourish your soul. And then as you're nourished, you will grow. In verse 3, he says, now that you have had a taste of his kindness. So that taste of his kindness you got at salvation ought to be what propelled you to craving the things of the Lord. We talked about tasting and seeing last week. And this is where it all culminates together. Peter says in verse 3, cry out for it. God has invited you to taste. He wants you to experience. Now, go for it. Cry out for it. Because once you get a taste, you should be hooked. People say heroin is the most addictive thing on this planet. I disagree. I think it's the Holy Spirit. I do. Because I believe if you truly encounter the Holy Spirit, there is no going back. People who say, I was a child of God, and they reject it, in my personal opinion, and I have scripture I can back this up with, my personal opinion, they never had it to begin with. They had a deception. They had a fake manufactured copy of it. But when you encounter the Spirit of God, it changes you for life. So we should crave the things of the Lord. I like how this verse is worded in the English translation, English Standard Version. In 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, again, he says, Put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Look how it reads in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted. And the New Living Translation says, Now that you've been tasted. Now that you've tasted. But here it says, if indeed you have tasted. So again, pursue so you can experience, so you can grow, if indeed you have tasted. That's a hypothetical statement. He said, crave this if you've tasted it. That means not everybody has. And you might not have. So if you've tasted, then do this. It's hypothetical. Why? Because you can't grow in Christ if you haven't first tasted of the Lord. If you haven't first been born again and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you have to come to Christ before you can grow in Christ. So if you have come to Christ, then crave it so that you can grow in Christ. But it's not just hypothetical, it's also an implication. 
it implies those who have tasted of the Lord will want to grow, will want to go after the nourishment that will help them grow, not simply taste of his goodness and salvation and then ride out their lives until the rapture of the church, which is what many people do. I got my ticket. I'm just going to sit right here until Jesus comes. Blow that trumpet, Lord. World's going to hell. It's okay. They can go. I'm going to glory. You don't believe it? People act like that every day. We'll judge them on Facebook, but we ain't going to pray for them at the prayer gathering. People act like this all the time, and they use Jesus' name in the process. Oh, boy, you just need Jesus. Well, brother, you do too. You just need Jesus. Well, you do too. Because I can tell from your life you don't know him. I can tell by your life. Well, I go to church. So what? The devil's in the church. James says the demons believe in God and tremble. The Bible tells us over and over again about vicious wolves who have come in among you pretending to be what they're not so they can bring havoc and destruction in the church. People even elevated into leadership positions leading people astray. Just because you attend church and are involved does not make you an authentic believer in Jesus Christ. What makes you an authentic believer in Jesus Christ is you're connected to the source. You're growing. Fruit is being produced. And your life reflects the glory of the Lord. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you live on purpose. There are evidences of a changed, spirit-filled life. If indeed you have tasted of the Lord, then crave it. Crave the milk. Crave the nourishment that's going to help you grow. And why do we do that? Because, beloved, there's another meal that's being prepared before you. When we have babies, what do we feed them? Milk. But if they drank milk the rest of their lives, there'd be a problem. So at some point, they have to transition from milk to meat. Isn't it so fun when you see little, little kids, like, they get to that age where you're feeding them, you know, milk, or maybe you start with a little bit of the, that rice oatmeal or whatever, and you're sawing into your steak, and they're looking at you. And you're like, no, here, have the strained peas, here. And they're like, giving you that dirty look because what you have looks so much tastier. You see, it's natural in something that's growing to move on from basic to more complex. In Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, the writer of Hebrews is just got done talking about deep things of the Lord, describing how Jesus is our great high priest, breaking down how Jesus fulfills all the, the Old Testament typology of what God was doing in the nation of Israel through the desert, through the wandering, as he set up the tabernacle, you have the Ark of the Covenant, the temple. He, he's breaking this down, but then he gets here in Hebrews chapter 5, and he stops talking about it. And he stops talking about it for specific reasons. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. So, I wish I was at this place in this conversation, because I want to know, 
Like, the scripture stops there. The Holy Spirit didn't let him go on in this letter to talk about the deep things of the Lord. I want to know what that information is. I want to know what he had to say. I want to know what else about Christ being a high priest there is. Why? Because I'm hungry for it. But he couldn't tell these people. Why? Because they'd become dull of hearing. Verse 12, he says, for though by this time you ought, there's that word, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. What's he saying? It's like, you guys have been Christians a long time. This is probably nearly 100 years after the resurrection. Somewhere between 30 and 70 A.D. that this letter is being written. So these believers had been believers a long time. They had met for worship a long time. They'd been involved in small group a long time. They had many communion meals together. They probably formulated ministries. They lived together. They gave generosity, generosity and, and, and sacrificially to one another. But here he's saying... You're dull of hearing by this time through your entire Christian life. You ought to be teachers, but in your spiritual life, you're still babies. And you can't handle deeper things of God. You can't handle it. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God. You need milk, not solid food. In our day and age, if you look at the way the church has gone, especially here in America, I don't know much about other countries, but I can look at America if you don't have skinny jeans, the latest haircut, all the lasers and lights going off in the church, you can't attract anybody to get to your church. People will come, and because your kids' ministry doesn't have a, a water slide in it, we're going to leave here and go someplace else. They're not looking for the things of God. They're looking for the things of the world. Well, your band doesn't have 13 guitar players. You only have two. Who gives a rip in glory when the Spirit of God's moving, no one's playing guitar anyway? If God's present, like, this, I, I think about this stuff, okay? I'm just going to stand on my soapbox and vomit to you a little bit. In the Old Testament, in the temple, it says when the cloud of God's glory appeared in the tabernacle, the priests couldn't even do their work. They fell on their face. When God's presence is moving, ain't nobody worried about guitars and sound systems and all this other stuff. Their eyes are on the glory of the Lord. This stuff we do because it's part of our culture. What God's interested in is not in the culture, but coming out of culture, being filled with the Spirit and changing the culture. That's what God's interested in. So he wants us to stop just drinking milk. Like, I can preach a marriage series. I can preach on how to raise your kids. But you know what? God wants more than you knowing tips and tricks on how to raise your kids. He wants you to know how to be a godly man or woman in your house, to live a godly example, to be serious enough to be here every week, to be in small group, to be at prayer group, to lead your family in a God-honoring way, to repent when you do something wrong, and to weep before them when God's glory is moving in your life, to show them something that they can aspire to, that he cares about more than any of the minutia we do on a regular basis. God cares about you taking this thing seriously. He wants you to stop feeding on milk. Chocolate milk is good. Strawberry milk's really good. But I'd take a Salisbury steak or a T-bone over a glass of milk any day. I'm going to personally keep Lucky's in business. Verse 13. 
Verse 13, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Unskilled. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. And he is a child. It's a, okay to be a child in kids' ministry. But when you're out of kids' ministry, when you've been walking with the Lord for a period of time, grow up. When I was a child, I did what a child did. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Believers in Christ have a purpose beyond their wildest dreams and their understanding. So stop living on milk. Grow into adulthood. Solid food is for the mature. And those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice are able to distinguish between good and evil. You don't just happen into maturity. It's through a process of practice and growing with the Lord and discerning and growing and being taught and turning around and going through it failing and picking yourself back up again and going back to the Lord and continue pursuing every way you can. He's telling these believers, guys, you've been believers long enough. You should be grown by now. But you're still acting like new believers, people who don't know a thing. If I were to write my own translation, I'd say, what the heck is your problem? If indeed tasted, if indeed you have tasted, crave it, I shouldn't have to convince you to go to a men's conference tonight, wake up, I shouldn't have to convince you, church, to gather for prayer, or to pray out loud, or to read your Bible at your house, or to pray with your family, or to witness to your neighbor. I'm here to encourage you as you do it. You are encouraging me to do it. We are to grow into the things of God. But we miss out on the deeper things because we're still sucking the bottom. We're still drinking from the sippy cup. The writer of Hebrews is chastising them a little bit for being spiritually lazy and immature. Why? Because honestly, it's their fault. It's their fault. They didn't desire to grow, and they kept themselves from growing, which stunted the spiritual growth for everyone else in the church because everyone else had that extra knowledge he wanted to give them withheld from them. And they couldn't go deeper because they were unwilling to grow. And again, as I look at the church today in our nation, there's a pandemic, a pandemic of efforts for abortion. There's a vast number of people who are just not interested in growth. Even people who have been believers longer than I've been alive are simply content with showing up to church and doing the basics and going home the same way they came in. Here at Vertical Life Church, we have such a heart that when you come the same, you leave changed. You don't come in the, you don't leave the same way when you came in. Why? Because if God's presence is here, you're going to be different. You encounter the love of God, you're going to be different. You're not going to be the same. But many just want to do the least required of them, not stepping into maturity, not pushing for growth. And many, even longtime believers who should be leading the church, are actually being led by people who haven't been saved nearly as long as they have. 
there's a transition period where we transition away from milk into meat. To grow from being the learner to being the teacher. Rather than growing deep roots ourselves or strengthening our spiritual muscles, we become dead weight holding everyone back. And I believe God has so much more for his church, for our church, for us, for me. You know, the early church, when the gospel first began to go out, all the believers got together. And there were some defining characteristics that set them apart from the rest of the community. And it became common to these new believers. And we have a description of that in Acts chapter 2. And I believe it's a description of how we continue the cycle of growth. So in your worship guide, you should have gotten a little card about your personal growth track. And I'm going to really read some scripture and talk about this really three-step process to ensure you're on a path to growth in your Christian life. I'm not going to break every verse down. We're just going to read sections of it and then look at the points. But in your personal growth track, and I believe if you want to reach your fullest potential in Christ Jesus and through the ministry here at Vertical Life Church, this is the path you need to be on. Number one, the first connection you have to the vine is your personal connection. Number one. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the first part of the verse, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All the believers, not some of them, all of them. And what was their teaching? It was the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death for us on the cross. In three days, he was raised from the dead. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. You'll become a child of God. You'll be welcomed into the family of God. It was the gospel. It was the things of the Lord. It was what they were teaching about the Old Testament. Before you can grow in Christ, you have to be connected to him. You have to have that moment where you say yes to the Lord. So you get connected to Jesus. And then your faith in Jesus is what begins to bring new life. And what happens in, in that phase, when people first come to Christ, usually they just start attending church. They start figuring this thing out. Maybe they get a Bible if they don't have one, and they start reading through the scripture, try to get used to or knowledgeable of the stories and things that are there. There's some very basic things that, that they do. We uh, begin to read. Maybe we start praying. Some, some of you maybe uh, prayed for the first time after you asked Christ into your life. We also know that you can begin to discover your spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gifts every believer with an endowment of grace for them to build up and strengthen the church. So once you're connected, these are the things that begin to happen. You begin to get acclimated to the Christian life. But it doesn't just stay there. God's intention for you is not just to stay an attender of services and to read your Bible on occasion or pray every once in a while over your meals. He wants you to move into deeper growth. So before you can grow in Jesus, you have to get connected to him. This means devoting yourself to these things. God wants you to grow personally. So grow in your prayer. Devote yourself to grow in your study of the word. Devote yourself to uh, the church home that you've been called to. Devote yourself to uh, seeking what your gifts are or the gifts of the spirit. Begin to discover how God uses you to bless other people. This is the learning phase. You're beginning to crawl as a newborn baby in the Lord. But as you begin to move forward, these things not only deepen, but it moves you into number two, the corporate connection. 
This is where you begin to develop relationships. Acts 22 and 42 through 46. Not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to sharing in meals, to the Lord's Supper, to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all as the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders where the gifts of the Spirit are being used. All the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They were generous. They sold their property and possessions. These are the fruit of the Spirit's beginning to come up as they're working with each other and ministering with each other. They worshiped to get together at the temple each day. Every day they had church. It's a struggle for us to do it once a week in our culture. But they met every day. Why? Because it was no longer what they did. It was who they are. Church is not what we do. We do it because this is who we are. We are the church. We do it together. We do life together. They worshiped together. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They, they began to incorporate. They came together. So they didn't just devote themselves to grow personally, but they also began to connect together and form a spiritual community. This is, they got involved in small groups. They got together in, uh, they ate together. They hung out together. They learned together. They joined in corporate worship together. They prayed together. Like our Sunday night prayer nights that we host every week in our home. They used their spiritual gifts together. The apostles were doing signs, wonders, and miracles. There was healing going on. People were prophesying over each other. You can read in the book of Corinthians all the amazing things the churches were doing together when they got together. This is where you begin to serve in a ministry and commit to fulfilling your place in the body of Christ. So you leave just being an attender and you start walking in the area of service and connect building relationships. As a body, you need relationships with other parts of the body. Like one of the things my injury taught me is that my one muscle is connected to a lot of other stuff. And so you have to incorporate so that you can function, but it requires other people around you to function with you so you can be strengthened and built up. So it's now getting involved, it's getting plugged in, finding a place to serve on a regular basis, committing yourself. And, and I just want to say that in this culture, not only are people having a hard time finding employees for their jobs. Do we have any business owners in here? Anybody? Anybody work for a company that's desperate for employees right now? Desperate? Is it a rarity that McDonald's and Burger King are trying to outbid each other on how much per hour in our little town? Like, people are desperate. Why? Because people don't want to commit to anything anymore. Especially their church family. Oh, I'll be there on Sunday. Saturday night at 11 o'clock. Sorry. Oh, you can count on me. All right, yes, let's do this. Well, I had something to eat and started feeling a little different. And maybe that's not for me. Okay, well, man, thanks for getting my hopes up. I appreciate that, you know. But it's so hard to get people to commit and to be where they need to be, to be in their place in the body of Christ. To not let cold air, long services, or anything else detract you from what God's leading you to do. This is where you connect. But number three, God doesn't just want you to stay there. He wants you to move on. 
This is the kingdom connection. Personal connection, corporate connection, grows into kingdom connection. Verse 47, it says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Not just those in your church. The goodwill of all people. That means what they were doing together corporately was spilling over into their community. And it was blessing everyone else. So they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The group was growing because people were being reached. How is that happening? Because the people who were reached grew, got involved, were discipled, grew up into leaders, and then began to reach other people. This is the point when your focus stops being you-focused. It starts being kingdom focused. Where you've grown enough in your relationship with God and in your church to transform from being a learner to being a teacher. Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the great commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. The imperative on every believer is to be a disciple who makes disciples. It's not the pastor's job to win your community. It's all of our job. It's not the pastor's job to win your family. It's your job. It's not your youth leader's job to win your school. It's your job. It's your job. You are to raise up from being a learner to being a teacher. And I will tell you from my own experience, I have learned more as a leader in God's church than I ever have as just an attender. Because there is a requirement on leaders that requires you to be in God's will, in God's presence, through thick and thin. And he has stretched me more. He has done more in my life, in our family, than any time I was just an attender in a congregation. And this is what God wants for you. Beloved, we are the church. We are worshipers. We are studiers of the word. We are prayer warriors. We are encouragers. We walk in love with crazy generosity. This is who we are. Maybe you're here and you recently gave your life to Christ. That's awesome. Focus on that personal connection. Keep coming. Keep growing. But soon enough, you got to get plugged in. You got to get involved in serving and ministering with your brothers and sisters in Christ to start building relationships, to encourage you in your faith journey as you grow. And beloved, if you've been coming and you've been serving, you're involved in small groups, you're, you're, you're doing that, it's time to grow up into leadership. God has a plan for you in this church, in this community. And it's an amazing thing. This is not what we do. This is who we are. We are leaders. And leaders in God's church recognize their calling to devote their lives to the mission of the gospel. And the health and success of this church is dependent on every piece being in its place at the right time. Every seed growing deep into the soil and raising high for the glory of God. If you haven't moved past just attending services and serving and using your gifts and building relationships with others, you're not going to grow. Because just being an attender is not enough. This Christian life is not a solo sport. You need to get plugged in. If you haven't grown past volunteering, 
They have a passionate commitment to lead God's church, to build his kingdom, to partner with him in building this temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be as fruitful as you could be because your growth will have been stunted. That's simply the corporate connection. Goal is meat. The goal is maturity. And God's called us. It's time to grow, and it's time to go. It's time to grow, and it's time to go. Go and fulfill God's calling on us as the church of Jesus Christ in this community. And we're living in a day and age where we're desperate to... We're desperate for leaders. We're desperate in people who will commit and say, you know, this is not what I do, this is who I am. We're desperate for men. Men to raise up as the spiritual leaders in their home. Not dictators in their home, spiritual leaders. Who will show their families how to serve God and honor him with all their lives. It's an epidemic. We're desperate for it. But you know, beloved, if there aren't any men, God will use women. He'll use women, and there have been some powerful women in history. Talk about Deborah leading the charge, winning a great victory. So God will use who he has. But we are desperate. We're desperate for leaders. We're desperate for spiritual men. And I believe the church grieves when people who have known Christ for a long time are just content with staying the same. They're just content. God wants to propel us into our fullest potential and divine destiny in this community. And that's the challenge of this 22 days of prayer series. We look back to remind ourselves what God has done. We look forward to see what God is doing. And then we keep chasing after it. So we grow into everything God wants us to be. And as we grow personally, we'll grow corporately, and we'll change this community. Personal connection, corporate connection, kingdom connection. So, beloved, today, where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you a newborn believer? That's awesome. Keep chasing it. God has so much for you. Have you been walking with him for a long time? It's time to get plugged in, get involved, and to serve. Have you been serving a while? Maybe it's time to look at what God wants you to do to lead his kingdom into the next level, into the next era. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we go into a time of response as music begins to play. In order for us to grow, it takes a measure of surrender. Just say to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. There are a lot of things pulling at us, vying for our attention, vying for our commitment. There are a lot of things the world is offering to give us happiness, to help us find fulfillment. And there are a lot of things we can take joy in. But one thing's for certain, there's only one thing that will last forever. And that's what we do for Jesus Christ. If it were not so, he would not have said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and dust can't corrupt and thieves can't break in to steal. There is a treasure that is being accumulated for you in glory. And it's up to you on how much treasure you get to cash in when you get there. And God has so many beautiful things for you to experience in this life. I would have never imagined I would have gotten to be a part of so many healings 
So many restorations. So many lives that are being transformed. So many encouragements. So many opportunities to see God work in people's lives that would have never thought in a million years. I'm so glad I said yes to the Lord. So for the next few moments, I just want you to ask God, God, where do I need to grow? And give me that craving for the things of the Lord. Help me crave the things of God. Help me go deeper in my relationship with you. Help me be stronger in my commitment to the call you have on my life. Help me know what that call is. Help me know where my place is. Help me know what my gifts are. Help me hear your voice. Give me a passion for something in this community that I can use to make a difference to build your kingdom. Don't let me stay stuck. This prayer is not just for the young. A pastor I knew once said, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. You don't get to graduate Christian. You don't get to retire from ministry. You are a minister. You are an apostle. You are an ambassador. You're that till the day you die. There's no retirement age. You don't get to just reach 70 and say, okay, I can just come and sit now. No, God has something for you. God has people for you to reach. You think the senior home is going to take me seriously? No, but they'll take you seriously if you're a senior. God has something for every person at every age. Are you willing to grow into it? Are you willing to give God your yes? This response time is for surrender. I encourage you just to pray to the Lord. Seek Him in this moment. In just a minute, as my wife, Tony, begins to sing, if you want someone to partner in prayer with you over what God's putting on your heart, you come forward, and our prayer team will be down here to pray with you. If you have a burden on your heart, there's just something maybe you're battling or going through, you have a relationship issue or maybe health issue and you would like prayer, we still believe in the power to heal. We believe God heals every day. We'll pray for healing. We'll pray for encouragement. But if God's speaking to you and you would like someone to partner with you in prayer, God, where do I fit in? God, where do I need to grow? God, help me be willing to grow. God, help me be willing to desire more. God, show me how. This is what the church is for. This could be your first step to connection. You've got the personal connection. Now you need the corporate connection. It's time to start connecting with other believers and uniting your faith together. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.